morning. As we've said already today, we're glad that you're here, especially if you're a visitor with us. We hope that all, all I hope that all of you have experienced worship this morning as we have come before the throne. This morning we are back in the book of Malachi. Specifically, we are in chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. So you can go ahead and be turning to that point in your Bibles. If I'm completely transparent with you this morning, as I was with the children, I'm nervous. I'm uneasy. Because the passage today speaks to us about the issue of divorce. You'll notice this morning that I am largely going to be reading the sermon, especially this first part, because I want to be very careful about the words that I say, because I know that this is a sensitive topic. And so I pray this morning that you will extend grace to me, um, as we don't have the normal mode of maybe presentation that we've become accustomed to, but I believe that this is an important topic that we want to be very careful with. The word divorce itself carries with it a great deal of baggage. And my guess would be that very few of us in this room have not been touched in some way by its impact. Whether it as being friends of a couple that are divorced or as family members or as children of a divorced couple or as someone who has experienced it firsthand. There are wounds, there are scars, and many other emotions that we cannot even begin to fathom through the divorce. This morning, as we look at our passage and others that deal with this topic, I want to make a few things very clear from the beginning before we ever start. First, as your pastor, I want to make it very clear, and I, and I want to express to someone that has experienced divorce specifically firsthand that I have no desire or intent to add anything to what you have gone through, to add to any guilt or suffering or shame upon your soul. Rather, my heart goes out to you this morning, and I want to remind you that the gospel gives us hope. No matter our past, no matter what we have done, no matter how we view ourselves, God extends his mercy, his forgiveness, and his love to us. We as a church should want to be a place where people can come to be healed physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And if you have experienced divorce in your life in some way, you are family and we, and especially I as your pastor, want to convey to you that we love you and that God loves you this morning. Second, I want us to make sure that we understand that as an American church on the whole, that we have poorly addressed this issue. We have insulated ourselves from the cultural around us, pretending that this issue doesn't pertain to us, pretending like the word stay silent on the issue, pretending like we don't have a responsibility to speak to one another about our marriages, pretending like we don't have a responsibility to teach our children about marriage, pretending that we don't have a responsibility to stand on the word and address our culture on this issue. Not only have we insulated ourselves, but we have isolated individuals. Indeed, we have isolated even brothers and sisters who have experienced divorce, and we have treated them as lepers, whether there were biblical grounds or divorce or not, whether or not they have sought repentance and been offered forgiveness by God. And because of that this morning, because of those responses, we are in the wrong as a church, and we should be the ones seeking forgiveness before God. 
and before those that we approach. That being said, we approach the word this morning in great humility, asking God to show us his heart on this issue. We approach his word this morning saying, let's, we don't, sorry, we don't approach the word this morning saying, let's, let's see what it says and then we will choose to obey, but rather we seek this morning to obey the word because of him who said it. Yes, in the name of Jesus Christ, we offer grace to fellow sinners this morning, but we also stand firm on the word against a culture that has made a mockery out of marriage. Okay, that's the pre-sermon. Hopefully you have found Malachi this morning. We have a lot to go through. I hope that as we go through this this morning that you will hear grace. I hope that you will hear compassion, but I also hope that you will hear truth this morning. So if you found Malachi this morning, if you would stand to honor God's word, then we will begin this morning. Malachi chapter 2, starting in verse 10, and we will go through 16. It says, have we, not all, have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, and, the, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hands. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking but godly offspring? So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in the spirit and do not be faithless. Let me pray with you. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we approach your word with great humility. Lord, because our minds are not able to comprehend your wisdom our minds are not always able to wrap our brain or to wrap our thoughts around that which you put in front of us and we need help understanding and so lord we pray this morning that your spirit would be in this place lord that you would help us to understand your word and to apply it to our hearts this morning lord we come to you this morning because this is a difficult topic lord this is a painful topic this is a topic that carries with it a great deal of weight, a great deal of sorrow for some, a great deal of anger for others. Lord, and we want to be aware of those things, and we want to be compassionate, we want to be graceful, but Lord, we also want to speak truth, and I believe that, and Lord, I pray this morning that you help us to do both of those this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would not shut our hearts down, that we would not shut our ears to what your word would have to say on this topic, but Lord, that we would take it, that we would apply it, Lord, and that it would change us. 
Lord, help us ultimately to see the gospel in this. Lord, help us to see, Lord, that though we are all broken, though we all have sinned, Lord, that you and you alone can save us and that you seek to do so right where we're at. Lord, we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated this morning. Before we begin to look at Malachi, I want us to have a foundation of what Scripture says about divorce and marriage this morning. The first foundation, as we look at what Scripture says about divorce, the first foundation that I want us to see is that God created marriage. Specifically, if we look in Genesis 2, 18-24, we see God address this issue. We see him do something pretty remarkable. In fact, as we go, if you go through and look at all the places where um, the issue of divorce is addressed in Scripture, as a majority, whether it be in Malachi or whether it be in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or whether it be Paul and Corinthians, all go back and allude or reference this passage. And it's important. Because in this passage, what we see is that God looks down during the act of creation and observes that man being alone is not good. Throughout his, the creative act that God goes through in those first six days before he rests on the seventh, God looks at that creation and says, this is good, until he comes to man being alone. And then he says, wait, hold on, something's not right. And in order to prove this to man, to drive this home to Adam, he brings before him all of the animals of creation and has Adam look for a suitable mate, for a suitable companion among the creatures. But Adam can find none. And so having proven that to Adam, shown Adam the need for a relationship, shown Adam a need for not being alone, God puts him to sleep and takes from Adam a rib and taking the dust of the earth, he forms Eve. And then he presents Eve, the bride, to her husband, Adam. And Adam rightfully rejoices. He rightfully responds with an overwhelming presence of worship for what God has given him. And it is at this point that God institutes marriage as being between a man and a woman. It's at this point that he says that a man will leave his wife and cling, or sorry, will leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. And I love what Malachi says there. Malachi comments on that, that the Spirit actually binds the two together. Paul actually calls it a mystery in Corinthians. And the reason that it's important to understand that God created marriage is because we need to see that marriage is not just some human ritual. If it was a human ritual, we would have the right to do with it as we please. We would have the right to change it. We would have the right to break it. We would have the right to define it however we wanted. But it's not ours to do that with. But rather, it is God's. God created marriage. And because of that, He is the only one that can define it. He is the only one that can say what the right way for a husband and a wife to respond to one another is. He's the only one that can set the standard and the relegation releg regulations for it, and he's the only one that can end it. We have to stop listening to a culture and a world that would say what is permissible by law is right. Let me say that again. 
we have to stop listening to a culture and a world that would say that what is permissible by law is right and start looking to the word of God for what is right and what is wrong. Our culture would say that divorce is permissible on any ground. Our culture would say that a marriage can be defined however we want it, but we must stop seeing that as the standard and start looking to the word of God on this issue. It is his to define. Okay, so God created marriage. The second part of our foundation that I want us to see this morning is that God hates divorce. If you turn back to Malachi chapter 2 and specifically look at verse 16, God makes makes his point on this very clear. He says, For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord of Israel, the the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence. Now this is a tricky verse to translate from the Hebrew. The ESV here records it as uh, the man who divorces his wife or covers his garment with violence. Most other versions translate it as I, God, hate divorce. It's very clear. It's very plain. But no matter how you translate it, the message itself is very clear. God is not pleased with the act act of divorce or with the person, in this case, a man who divorces his wife, or vice versa. God hates divorce because it breaks the natural order of things, because it causes uncountable pain and suffering for all those involved, not just the couple, and because it breaks a covenant, a three-way covenant that God himself has sealed with the Spirit, as we see there in verse 15, if you go back. So God created marriage, And because of that, he hates divorce. But that's not the end of our discussion. I want us also to see a third thing here as we look at what Scripture says about this issue. I want us to see that God does, on a very limited basis, give permission for divorce. And I want to say that very carefully. Because God does not command divorce. In no way does God condone it but he does allow for it in two very narrow cases. One of those cases applies to believers joined in marriage. The other applies to an unbeliever and a believer who are married or already married. So first, let's let's turn to Matthew 19, verse 3 through 10. And I'm just going to read that quickly for you. But Matthew 19, 3 through 10. The Pharisees have come to Jesus. They're trying to test him. In fact, that's what it says right here. Let's see his response. 19. Verse 3 of Matthew says, And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he, Jesus, answered them, Have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the, the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And then they said to him, the the Pharisees said to Jesus, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Okay, so Jesus first says that divorce shouldn't be a part of the picture. He again 
references what we read in Genesis, that God created marriage, that God joins them together, and that man should not break that covenant. The Pharisees, though, they ask this question. They say, then why did Moses command divorce? But Jesus corrects them and says, man, or Moses did not command divorce. Rather, he allowed it because people have hard hearts, because people are sinners. In other words, divorce is permissible in this case, but it is not mandatory. Because God, but because God understood that man was unbelievably sinful, he allowed in the case of unrepentance and ongoing sexual immorality, specifically adultery, for there to be divorce. Because marriage at that point had been defiled, and it possibly was at the point of no return. So that's the first thing. Biblical first case of biblical grounds for divorce could be sexual morality. The second grounds for divorce is found in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 15. And I'm not going to read this all. But here, Paul makes it clear that divorce should not happen. However, he says that if an unbelieving spouse cannot live with a believing spouse, then that spouse should not be forced to stay. It's not ideal but it's permissible. Basically, the idea was this, is that the gospel was spreading like wildfire and people were coming to know the Lord and we know, we understand that when you come to the Lord, you are a new person. No longer are your interests here, but your interests are here. No longer do you act this way, but you act this way. And so the unbelieving spouse was looking at their companion and saying, that's not the person I married. And they were right. It wasn't the person they they married. It was a new creation, a new person. And they were saying, I didn't sign on for that, and I can't live with that. And Paul says, if that's the response of the unbelieving spouse, then they should be allowed to go. I want us to notice here, though, I want us to notice here, though, that it is the unbelieving spouse abandoning the believer and not the other way around. This is not an open door for us to use our salvation or our spouse's lostness to divorce them or to use it against them. Paul actually makes the opposite argument in that passage by saying if you find yourself in a situation where you are saved and you are, but your spouse is lost, that you are to make every, do everything in your power to make it work because you do not know how God will use you to bring salvation to your home, specifically your spouse and your children. That's it. Those are the two biblical grounds for divorce. Some of you might want there to be more. Some of the issues that you are thinking of may even seem logical. But they are just simply not in God's word. He addresses those issues in different ways, in different parts of Scripture. Which leads me to the last foundation. For some of you sitting here, this has already been an incredibly difficult message. It has opened up old wounds. It's brought back difficult emotions and maybe even caused you to question some things. This next part is for you. God gives grace. God gives grace. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. 
therefore I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yes, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That's a lot of comfort. But there is hope and comfort and grace and forgiveness in the word of God. In the heart of God, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what doubts you have about yourself, understand that we are all broken. We have all fallen short, we all, but we find rest and peace in him. I pray this morning that you will do the same thing. And that we as a church will be a conduit of God's grace and love to broken people of all shapes, sizes, colors, and backgrounds as they come to this place seeking refuge. So that's our foundation. God created marriage so that he gets to set the rules. God hates divorce because of what it does to his design. God has provided two, though, but in spite of that, God has provided two very narrow cases in which divorce is permissible, and God gives grace. All right, now, let's get back to Malachi chapter 2. Why does God address the topic of divorce in Malachi? Out of all scriptures, why does he address it here? Well, let's look at what happened so far. So far, Israel has questioned God's love for them, to which he responds to that questioning that he has proven his love over and over again and that he has chosen them. Not only that, but he has preserved them. He has saved them. And then God flips the tables and begins to question them, the Israelites, on how much they loved him. Why does he do this? Because marriage is a direct picture of God's relationship with us. The whole book is about a proper relationship between a loving God and his people. So it makes sense that in a book about that, that God would look to the Israelites and how they were defining marriage, how they were acting with marriage, the fact that they were using marriage lightly, to say, what are you doing? Israel... Israel's unfaithfulness in marriage was a picture of their unfaithfulness to God. And so by breaking the marriage covenant and treating marriage lightly, they were telling the whole world a lie about God and his love for us. Truly, we do the same thing when we treat marriage lightly, because it is a picture of God's relationship with us. We are telling those who are watching that God's love can end. We are telling people that are watching that God's love is temporary. We are telling them that God's love is conditional. We are telling them that it only applies, that his love only applies when we feel like it or when he feels like it. And these are all lies. And God can't stand it. So God defends marriage. And he declares to them, God makes a declaration to the people that he won't accept the sacrifice 
no matter how much they cry and beg. Look back there at 13. He says, and the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hands. God says, you have done this thing. You have broken the marriage covenant. You have treated marriage lightly. And because of that, I will not accept your offerings. I will not accept your worship. Lest you think this is only an Old Testament thing, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It's a passage that we don't often go to. But there in verse chapter 3, verse 7 of 1 Peter, it says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of, gra- of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers might not be hindered. So that your prayers might not be hindered. God takes marriage seriously. He takes the relationship seriously. He takes sin seriously. You want to know why your worship has no get up and go? You want to know why your prayers have no power? Look at your marriage. Look at your relationships with people. Look at your sin in your life. I used to have a mentor that as he would counsel people, people would come to him and say, hey, why, why does it feel like my prayers are hitting the ceiling? Why does it feel like God's not answering my prayers? Why does it feel like there's no emotion behind my worship? Why does everything, why does the word of God taste dry in my mouth? And the first question out of his, ma- question out of his mouth every time was, how's your marriage? And they would look at him and go, what does that have to do with anything? And he would take them back to First Peter and say, if your marriage isn't right, if there's sin in your marriage, if you have unforgiveness in your marriage, if you are not honoring and respecting your spouse, God makes it clear that your, your message, your prayers, your worship will be hindered. In Malachi, he makes it clear that your worship will not be pleasing to him. So do you want to know why those things aren't happening? You want to know why there are problems? Then the first place to look is there. It doesn't mean that that's the last place we look. Sometimes our marriages are great and there are other things happening, certainly. But we should look there first. This is what Malachi is saying to the people of Israel. They had betrayed their true nature and their thoughts towards God by breaking the marriage covenant. Not only that, but with their actions, they had told lies about God's character and his love for us. And he would no longer stand idly by while they did so. They were to be the lighthouse, but they were not betraying him anymore. So what about the here and now? What about what God wants to say to us this morning? Well, I think there are three questions here that we can look at. First, We need to look at our own marriages. What do our marriages say about Christ? What message are they sending? Are they telling a truth about God or are they telling a lie? This is a prayer that Melissa and I have all the time. That our marriage would be a sign of the gospel to others. As we've talked to other couples, as I've done marriage counseling and, and, and spoken with different folks, I, my first prayer for them is that their marriage would tell the truth.
something bad. We must desire that in our life. But is our sin tainting that? Is our hypocrisy in our life, no matter what we say, is it saying something different? Lastly, do we trust him? Our culture has driven us far down the path to believing that we can't trust anything or anyone. Divorce has led us to believe that nothing lasts forever and that love is conditional. Have we as a church swallowed that lie? Or have we said no? God's love is eternal. God's love is unconditional. And we find freedom in him. We find a place of rest in him. We find that we can trust him because he desires what's best for us. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up this morning. Maybe, I'm going to try not to squeal, but maybe this morning, maybe this morning you're one that has experienced this firsthand. You've experienced the pain, you've experienced the wounds and the scars. As I said at the beginning, my heart goes out to you. As your pastor, my desire would be to run and to embrace you this morning. And to remind you that God offers forgiveness, to remind you that he heals wounds, that he is our comforter, that he is the great physician who binds together hearts again. I hope that you will find that in him this morning. For others of you this morning, we need to be praying for our marriages. I would ask this morning that you would make a commitment to pray for Melissa and I's marriage. Because the enemy would like nothing more than to come in to destroy our marriage so that we may destroy, he may destroy our testimony in the community and to the world around us. And we in turn make a commitment to pray for your marriages as well. That God would bind them together, that God would get glory out of them. So I invite you this morning to to make that covenant with each other. I invite you to come to the altar if you need to and just pray as a couple that God would gain glory out of your marriage and that he would protect it and solidify it. Maybe this morning you have never experienced grace and mercy. Maybe this morning you don't understand what we talk about when we talk about feeling the love of God in your life because you've never come to him and made him your Lord and Savior and ask him for forgiveness of your sins and you don't know what that is I pray this morning that you would come as well that you would seek him this morning and find that in him is more than you could ever understand and a life that is new fresh rewarding and free this morning as the praise team plays I just ask that you respond this morning his word and to what he is asking you to do. Let me pray for us and then we'll have that time of song. Father, I just come before you this morning and Lord, you know that my heart is heavy. Lord, because I know that there are those in this congregation that have been deeply affected by this issue. I know that there are those in this family who still have scars and still have wounds from those from this issue and from from things that have happened in their lives. And Lord, I pray to you this morning.
Lord, that you would be that you would be the God of comfort that you are to them in this moment. Lord, I pray this, this morning that we would be the church, Lord, that you have called us to be, that we would be the hands and feet of love that you have created us to be, that we could comfort and bear one another's burdens, that we could show forgiveness and compassion and grace just as you have to us. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would protect our marriages. Lord, that you would do what only you can do as you bind us together in your spirit that no man may tear it apart. Lord, we want our marriages to be a testimony to the grace of God. We want our marriages to be a testimony to the love of that you have for our church and for us as individuals. So I pray that you would watch over them, that you would protect them, that you would bind them together. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we go out into the community, as we go out in, in, into the, the byways and the streets and our <laughs> workplaces, Lord that, Lord, that we would speak this truth into the lives of people, that they may too experience the hope that we have been given. Whether they have experienced divorce themselves or whether they're experiencing other kinds of difficulties, that we will preach the gospel so that they can experience what you have offered us too. Father, we pray now, Lord, in this time of response, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. We pray this in your great name.